Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living So Busy Living So Busy Living Sober. You're so funny. Oh, my God. I, everybody that I do that to, they're always like, oh, my gosh, look at her go. And I'm not a good That's singer. Very, inter- very I'm entertaining. Not, I'm not a good singer and I'm not a good dancer, but I sure but you're try. You're a fun singer. But I'm having fun. It's We're fun. at episode 209. 209 episodes is crazy with the Arlena Allen of ODAT podcast. Chat podcast. <laughs> ODAT chat podcast. And yes. I have to tell you that I think it's so funny because for those that are listening, so ODAT is an acronym, correct? Mm-hmm. For one day at a time. That's right. I did not think it through when I named the podcast. I named it after my favorite meeting. And uh, so I have come to understand that some people spell it O-D-A-T for whatever reason. The right. second A doesn't count. Right. <laughs> that poor I mean, little A has been left in the corner. So sad. So, but yes, ODAT. And then chat kind of, it had kind of a ring to it. So there you have it, ODAT chat. I love that. And you, I want, because you have over 23 years of sobriety, don't you? 26. 26 years of sobriety. I don't know why yeah. I said 23. Well, because I got sober on, a, on April 23rd. Okay. April, that's probably that's what it was. That's the 23. Yeah, the 23. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I, I cheated you out of three years. God <laughs> knows. You need those three years. So, all the what? same after 20. <laughs> really? I don't know. I guess. Like it's all, I think that it's all, I swear, I feel like, it, you know, ironically, the name of your podcast is where I live, like one yeah. day at a time. Like, cause I, yeah. it's like, I am, it's the close, I just got to keep getting closer to God for me. It's just like the closer I get to God, the better life is. So will you tell us what happened, what it was like and what happened when it's like today? Yeah, sure. So I, I typically start off with like family of origin stuff. Cause that kind of sets the stage for the whole thing, right? The whole, it's the whole setup. So, um, my parents are super nice. They're very decent, hardworking middle-class Americans, you know, um, dad is from Kentucky and my mother was born and raised in Mexico city. So there was like a lot of praise Jesus <laughs> and, uh, Dios mio, gracias a Dios. <laughs> and my, a lot of God in my house growing up. Uh, we attended uh, the Sunnyvale Presbyterian. I'm from California. Sunnyvale is not just like the quintessential <laughs> name of a California town. Sunnyvale. But uh, yeah, so some things happened to me when I was really young. I was abused by a neighbor for a period of time, and that really did. It was like a secretive, yeah. And that sort of uh, changed the entire trajectory of my life. It changed who I thought I was. It wasn't about like the specific act, but it was like all the things that it did to my head after it's like my, it shaped my identity of who I thought I was and what I deserved. And um, then my parents got divorced when I was about seven. So it was just, it was a lot for my parents divorced, but I think by the time I was seven and um, it was really, really hard on me. My mom was the disciplinarian. My father was sort of like the nurturing one and which is kind of ironic because he's a military man. Like he was a, he was in the Marines as an officer and then he worked for places like Lockheed and NASA and had some kind of security clearance. I have no idea what he did to be perfectly honest. And he never told you, right? What he did for a living? Yeah. 
before he got his security clearance, he was like a contracts negotiator for a, they called it an outfit. Old guys called work an outfit. And he worked for an outfit that built the Bradley tank. So he was, he was a man's man for sure, but he never, he didn't drink or, I mean, the only time I ever saw my dad drink was when we went to like a company it was like a company picnic where they um, gave us rides in the tanks and it was super cool. And my dad had a few beers and we were on the way to the car. And I was with my stepmom, my sister, my little brother. And some dude was like, hey, Frank, take it easy. And he's like, I'll take it any way I can get it. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and this was the guy that was like uber religious, right? Uber religious, uber conservative. I was like, wow, that was like the craziest I ever saw my dad. <laughs> so pretty tame. Uh, and my mom never drank either. But um, anyway, when we were growing up, my mom went out on a date and I don't remember how old I was. Uh, they divorced when I was seven. And I think she remarried or met my stepdad when I was 10. So prior to 10, my sister and I were left home alone. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to drink some of the brown liquid in that clear, dusty bottle in the cabinet. I don't even know why it was there. I'm imagining that somebody left it there from a party or something. But anyway, my sister was the goody to older, compliant, studious child. <laughs> I was not, <laughs> obviously, as you soon shall see. So uh, I drank some. I was thinking it would be a good idea to drink some. And I remember, I'll never forget because it burned my lips. It burned all the way down. But then when it hit bottom, this warmth spread throughout my body. And suddenly all that self-hatred, self-loathing at 10 that I had was lifted. All the self-consciousness, uh, all that was lifted. And I didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt really good. The juxtaposition between those two feelings was so dramatic. At that moment was burned in my psyche forever. And I chased, I, I used to say, I chased that feeling till I got sober. The truth of the matter is I still love to feel that, you know, now we call it bliss or joy or, and I don't need to use drugs or alcohol to get there. But uh, I still love those feelings, but now I just, and, and now, you know, there's, that, there was a lot that happened in between the first drink and where I'm at now. Um, but I've been able to release all the guilt and shame that came from years of drinking and uh, abusing myself and uh, allowing others to, you know, I, for a long time, I didn't, uh, I was, my behavior was not in line with the values that I grew up with. Right. So right. I, you know, incurred a lot of guilt and shame during the, the, the drinking years, air quotes on a podcast. But, um, you know, what really happened was that, and I'd like to make a joke out of everything. Right. So I used to like, like I would have what I would call episodes when I was drinking and I had these two alter egos. It was either badass Betsy or wimpy Wendy. Cause I was either fighting or crying when I was, <laughs> when I would start to drink. Can I say, I feel like you just gave, when you were just describing you drinking the brown liquid mm -hmm. and it going down your body and then the warmth because alcohol is a spirit, right? They call it the wine yeah. and spirit store. Spirit, yeah. So the way you just, that was like a spiritual kind of, I hate to say an awakening, it but a, it was a spiritual it, awakening that happened a with, spiritual a, experience. with an authentic spirit. Like that's what booze is. It's a spirit. I was relieved. Yeah. It was the first time I felt relief and I didn't really actually realize how much pain I was trying to manage. 
had no coping skills, right? Like my mom didn't have any coping skills. She never taught me how to deal with like my mom, her way of I always had big feelings and she didn't know what to do with me, bless her heart. And she's a much different person today than, than she was when she was raising me. As a matter of fact, I tell my boys, I go, you know, that sweet little lady that comes here, that is not the bitch that raised me. <laughs> she was angry. I used to feel like, like when I was growing up, I had two predominant feelings. I was either guilty or wrong, right? And my mom had two predominant feelings. She was either really happy or really angry. And I yeah. felt like she saved the happy face for the outside world. And I've come to understand that, you know, she was a middle-aged woman trying to raise two kids on her own. My dad obviously was a good parent and, you know, child's support the whole thing, but and it's, you know, life is hard. It's we hard. get tired and kids are hard. As mm -hmm. much as we love our kids, kids are hard, you know, and uh, she didn't have a whole lot of coping skills. So, um, so, and we, we know way more now than we used to. Like she didn't understand, like she, she didn't know that I was coping with these issues from the divorce and from the abuse. Like she didn't know. So, I mean, we know a lot more now than Oh my God, now it's okay. Then. Yeah, I think now it's, you can ask for help and you're not looked at like, Oh my God, you're such a loser. You can't do this by yourself. Cause I raised three kids by myself and I totally get it. And it's like today we don't have to feel like we got this. I got this. It's like, no, I can ask for help. Yeah. No, I mean, for anyone who's listening, it's like <clears throat> mom guilt is a thing. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah. And there is no, there is no motherhood without guilt. That's just how mm -hmm. it is. And so we need to air out our crazy thinking. We need to, you know, yeah, we just need each other. We need to be able to say what we really feel out, you know, share you, you're only as sick as your secrets. We need to be able to talk about it, to know that we're okay and get some support. Maybe, maybe a few parenting tips too. That would have been nice, but yeah. So, um, so all that to say at some point, the drinking stopped working for me, right? Like it, it actually, you know, what's funny is it kind of kept me alive for a period of time because during those young teenage, early teenage years, it's like, if I had to feel everything that I felt, I don't know that I would have survived. I was kind of borderline suicidal around 14, 15 as it was. And uh, no, no serious plan, but like hated who I was. My sister was uh, mentally ill. Like she was suffering mm -hmm. from depression. And I remember one time my mom pulling me aside and being like, we could lose her. Like, it, suicide wasn't the word that she used, but it was like, we need to, she was scared. And I was like 14 years old. And she's like, we need to, we need to take care of her. what, what I heard her say is that you need to save your sister. Like if, if you don't, if you don't help her, she's going to die is kind of what I heard. I was not equipped. I had my own damn problems, but, and she, and to this day, my sister is not, um, she's not really self-sufficient. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But um, yeah, so that was a lot to take on. And it really, you know, began like this. I got the message that I needed to save. Like it was my self-esteem or value was based on achievement or helping others, mm -hmm. like trying to save my sister, but I had no, no ability to do that. So it was like this series of failures. And every time I failed, I felt worse about who I was. So I needed to drink more. It was like this vicious cycle. And what I wasn't aware of is that my self-esteem, how I thought about myself was being um, degraded every single time something like that happened. Um, part of my story, you know, I, I kind of joke around and say, you know, my, if I could encapsulate my entire using experience, it would be that if it was in a bottle, a bag or blue jeans, I was doing it. 
<laughs> Anything to fill the void. You take that figuratively yeah. and literally. <laughs> but, um, you know, that is not, again, not in line with the values that I was raised with. But um, I have come to find out since that uh, girls that are promiscuous are typically uh, abused when they're younger. And so, our society is not kind to women who are embracing their sexuality, to say the least. Um, so I was sort of not seeing myself in this very good light. And, you know, since I've been sober, I've, you know, I, I got sober because I couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I had a couple of people in my life who were in recovery. I was in a sales position and two of my customers were sober and I was losing what I thought was my ideal boyfriend <clears throat> and um, I just wanted to stop. So I actually had my last drink on my 25th birthday and I woke up the next morning and I was like, I'm never drinking again. I was like having that alcohol poisoning, which was pretty regular for me. Um, you look like you want to ask a question. <laughs> no, I just took a deep breath that like, oh my gosh, like you got up and you said, I'm going to do this and you haven't had a drink since then. No, but I smoked weed for five months after that. <laughs> But still, I, I just, and was now, done. Wait a minute, you've been sober longer now than you drank. Like that is so yeah. freaking cool. I love yeah. that. Well, I've been sober more than half my life, but yes, listen, that's like it, it, the first 10 years, the first 10 years, I mean, who drinks from zero right. to 10? <laughs> Does that count? I don't know. I think that's just amazing. Yeah. It actually is kind of amazing. I mean, my kids have never seen me loaded, right? Like and my your kids husband? don't. No, he's been sober longer than me. He got sober when he was 18 and, and never relapsed. Yeah. Isn't that was, just such a miracle? You know, and I think the, it is, it is. I mean, there was a time I couldn't make it to noon without a bong hit. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't go, I couldn't not go out and go drinking. I couldn't, yeah. I, I did not. At some point along the line, I lost the ability to choose whether I was going to drink or not. Right. And that powerlessness and that unmanageability was so impermeated everything in my life. And I, you know, before I was introduced to the 12 steps, I was trying to think my way into right living. I thought if I could just understand mentally, then I would be able to change my behavior. And what I have since learned, it's about mood follows action, right? In recovery, we learn, we learn about cause and effect and we learn about digging into our past and sorting it all out uh, letting go of the responsibility that's not ours so that we can bear the weight of what is mm. right. Mm -hmm. Like, like mm -hmm. I was telling you about, like, I took inappropriate responsibility for my sister and I was not taking very appropriate responsibility for myself. I was a victim. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really trying to find the solution, but I was doing it backwards, which is a hundred, you know, hundred yeah. degrees away from the solution which is funny because that's as human beings, that's kind of what we do. We kind of do things backwards. So I was trying to think my way into right living, but as it turns out, I needed to live my way into right thinking. That's why the whole concept of act as if is kind of helpful because you do the actions and then you get the rewards. And as it turns out that that is part of the whole dopamine reward system that drives behavior, right? right. And early in recovery, I didn't understand that my whole dopamine reward system was broken. Right. It's like I had been flooding my brain with so much stimulants, drugs, alcohol, whatever, that uh, my poor little neuroreceptors um, 
you know, you have your, your dopamine that floods the neuroreceptors and there's, or the membrane that your brain cells and it has little receptors. Well, the receptors will retract so that you cannot uh, receive so much dopamine, right? It's your body trying to achieve homeostasis. And um, what I didn't know when I first quit drinking is that my brain was healing. And what that meant is that my brain needed time to up, to put those receptors back out Mm-hmm. so that I could receive the dopamine and feel things like happiness and joy and pleasure. And, you know, but it takes, so the beginning part, like if nothing else, I just want your listeners to know that in the beginning phase of sobriety, your brain is healing and you're, you need to actively go out and look for things that bring you joy. You not, you need to start reattaching to your feelings. Like that whole drinking and using period is, an investment in disassociation. It's an investment in um, shutting your feelings down so they don't have to feel anything except for joy. But I don't know about you. I stuffed my feelings so much that when I drank, everything came out, which hence the crying and fighting thing. But- uh, So I wanna back up because sometimes, a lot of times I have people that listen that are brand new, right? So they're brand new and they're like, oh my gosh this is really scary, right? So do you remember when you went to your first meeting and where did you go and how did you have the courage to do it? And what did that feel like? Cause there was so much, you know, there's so much shame and you're like, oh my God, I'm going. So how was, and today I think a lot of people, I hate to say this, but I feel like they're so lucky in a way cause they go to zoom and it's like, I can be in my mm. house. I can be with my camera off. I could just even just have it say iPhone and I'm not even really accountable. I'm just sitting there as a voyeur in the room. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that go into the rooms and they come in at the very beginning and they leave at the very end. You don't even catch them anyway. Yeah. But how do you, um, how do you recall that first meeting you went to and what was that? Well, like? yeah. I mean, first of all, I was terrified, but I went with, um, my two customers, Mitch and Randy were these two guys that they were working at companies that I was selling to. And we'd go out to lunch and they would start to break down. We, we, you know, they started, I didn't know it, but they were kind of 12 stepping me. You know, they were, they were talking about this. I would share with them what was going on in my life. And they'd be like, oh damn, you need to quit drinking. I remember Mitch, I was in Mitch's office and he had the uh, questions like, are you an alcoholic? Like, that's a very important question. Are you an alcoholic? He slid this, uh, you know, you know, the quiz. Oh it's yeah. Like the 20- pamphlet. Yeah. 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 25 quests. Yeah. No, I, I got a, I got an A. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, oh damn. But it, nowadays it's like, it's not, am I an alcoholic that it's the question? It's like, why am I drinking? You know, like not, not why the addiction, why the pain, like what's going on there? Cause alcohol is but a symptom, but yes, I was terrified to go to my first meeting. I choked on the words like anonymity and, you know, today, like when back then, all I had was, it was like a or nothing. There really wasn't anything else, you know, right. and the, the barrier to entry was so high. It took me two years of contemplating my drinking before I was able to be like beat down enough to where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check out the solutions. So, um, yeah, Mitch took me to my very first meeting and, and I was terrified. I went to a meeting that was way outside my own town. Like I knew I was never going to run into anybody. And, um, and I cried through the whole thing, you know, it was just so like, you know what it was though? It was this relief. It was like the cat was out of the bag I was surrounded by people who got my kind of crazy and some guy was like, welcome home. And I was, I felt it to my core. I was like, oh my God, I'm home finally. Cause I had been, 
I had been trying, I, I wanted to be anybody but me. I was willing to try. I mean, I lived at the self-help section at Barnes and Noble. I was like, surely my problems revolve around, you know, the seven spiritual laws of money or seven minute abs or, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Clearly that's my problem, right? No, no, <laughs> it was not, it was the drinking, but it was all the, all the emotional stuff that I had been bearing and disassociating from, from all those years, that was what was driving the compulsion. It was the subconscious belief about who I was and what I deserved that was driving those compulsions. It was subconscious. So I was self-sabotaging. Like when people are going through periods of self-sabotage, it's because subconsciously you have a belief about what you feel you deserve. And I do have a self-esteem class where we go into all, we pack, unpack all that stuff and we, I, we uncover the limiting beliefs, we reframe them, we get a vision for the future, we do this forgiveness process, um, which is really the thing that blocks us from receiving is all the guilt and shame that we have. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when I first got sober that drinking wasn't a moral issue. I thought, you know, I was, I was immoral because of all the things that I was doing, but I, what I was really doing was I was self-soothing because I was suffering. I was suffering and the people in the 12 step rooms did not condemn me. They loved me because they understood that if I knew better, I would do better and that they had too. And then just hearing all the stories of how they were in the grips of this terrible, deadly disease, and then they were able to overcome it gave me so much hope. Like I wanted to be different. And for the first time in my life, I had like a step-by-step process to go through it methodically logically with love and support to unpack all of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it's given my life meaning and purpose. You know, I I've dedicated my life to trying to help other people. And that's really where a lot of my joy comes from. It's important to figure out what brings you joy, right. But you have to be connected in, in the present moment to acknowledge what, to feel it, right. What brings you joy. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like getting, I remember like I came in and my favorite color for so long was green, but it's actually orange. (laughs) It's actually orange, but that took time. And, um, I love that you mentioned that you went and they loved you too. You loved yourself because I think that's one of like the first year it's like really, I I tell a lot of people, like when you get a new plant, like when I get a plant and especially if I get a little one and I really want it to be a big one, but I couldn't afford the big one. So I get the little one and then you go out and you water it, maybe give it a little bit of miracle grow and you're like, oh my gosh, but I really take care of it. So the roots get really strong because I want it to be like a palm tree. Like I'm looking at a palm tree out my window and you know that the palm trees weather these hurricanes, right? And they just go and they go, but we really need to get, take that time so that we fall in love with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a process, right? Um, I feel like everything, everything comes from this. Like we, my, my whole thesis is based on, we only allow into our lives what we believe we deserve. Right. And beliefs are a funny thing because they don't necessarily have to be based in truth. Right. A belief (laughs) is an idea. They're not right. A belief is something that you tell yourself repeatedly, right? right? And that's get that gets burned into your subconscious mind. And the brain is fascinating to me. I've been watching um, Dr. Andrew Huberman on different. He's a neuroscientist, super hot by the way, and, uh, out of Stanford. 
but he's fascinating because he talks about the dopamine reward system. He talks about the efficiency of the brain. It's like most of what we do is on autopilot. Like your brain is trying to conserve energy. And so we have all these sort of programs or algorithms installed in your brain. And so most of us are operating from a place of, of autopilot. Like we're not really present in the moment. We're either in the future or in the past. And we're not really thinking, we're not very intentional about our, about our lives. And so this idea of, you know, getting to the subconscious, like what are your limiting beliefs about yourself and how can we reframe them? And, you know, for me, like a daily self-care practice is huge, like two things. So if you want better self-esteem, you need to do some esteemable acts, right? And you also need to forgive yourself because it's like all this internal judgment that we, like, we're the, we're, we know where all the bodies are buried. Like we have, we are the scorekeeper of all our sins, right? Like all our mistakes, all our shortcomings, our thought crimes. Like I feel guilty about things I didn't even do half the time, but it's so, so we need to forgive ourselves. Right. And then, and then focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. Right. There's something about, and then it's like, mood follows action. So there's all the stuff that you learn in recovery. These are life coping skills. I never got any of this growing up, right? I didn't know how to process my feelings to resolution. Uh, Tara Brock has this amazing meditation for free on YouTube. It's 10 minutes long, not a big deal, but it's a process. It's RAIN stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And it's a way, like I start my morning and I'll listen to that you know, I collect a little guilt throughout the day. I'm just like everybody else. And uh, I'll be like, okay, where am I? I recognize I'm like at war with myself for some reason. And I allow the feelings to be, I do a little investigating. It's like, well, where am I? Is it my throat? Is it my chest? I have a pit in my stomach. You know, where am I uptight? And then nurturing. It's like, I get to reparent that little girl that's inside and offer myself some, some compassion and some nurturing so that I can resolve that and I'm not carrying it around. Right. And then I can just be free. And that, and I feel that allows me to, you know, give to others from a, a clean place. Like I don't need you to get better so that I can feel okay anymore. Hey, that's what I used to do. But, um, yeah. And I, and I learned boundaries with myself as well as other people. Like I'm a, you know, achievement junkie. So I need to set some limits around things like that. I'm not great at it, especially right now. I just got through telling you about all the crap I'm doing. <laughs> it's temporary. It's temporary. That's what I keep telling myself. It's okay. insanity. You keep telling yourself that. So, um, so, um, I want to go back. Cause before we came on, you told me that you were, so you did mention right now that you're doing an esteem class and then you really yeah. piqued my interest when you said that you're working with inmates in, um, in California and Arizona and are they yeah. only women and tell us a little bit, mm -hmm. bit about that. And you said that there was a story and I'm kind of was intrigued and I want to hear it. So go ahead. Yeah. So I've been teaching the self-esteem class for a while now. Right. And I call it reinvent because we're reinventing how we see ourselves. Right. And we do all these tools and self-care and stuff. And so um, I developed this class and then I reached out to Dr. Stephanie Covington and she wrote A Woman's Way Through the 12 Steps. And I had her on my podcast and she's amazing and I love her. And she, I was like, hey, Stephanie, I want to teach this class. Do you have any groups I could practice with? Like I needed to practice delivering the content. And she got back to, and I was thinking that, I mean, I think she's affiliated with some rehabs and stuff. So I was thinking she was going to put me on a Zoom call. Uh, I see her, is that your husband? 
sorry. <laughs> tried to sneak by. I'm like, he's I like trying to move oh. the computer so you didn't see him. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Sorry. Um, but anyway, so I was asking Stephanie, I was like, well, who, do you have any people that I can share this content with? And I was thinking that she was going to connect me with rehab people. Instead, she goes, how about you record it and send me a zip drive and we'll, you know, air it closed circuit on the women's prison system. And I was like, whoa, like I didn't even see that coming. And it was kind of interesting because my father passed away last year, last December. And sorry. He, thank you. Uh, um, but he used to, when he retired, he did a lot of community service. Like he was that guy, like he walked the talk and he would do GED and ESL at the local jails yeah. for the men. And it was almost as if almost, I was like, was that you? <laughs> Did you do that? Yeah. Like, cause oh, that wasn't even in my, yeah. isn't that sweet? My poor daddy. Oh. So, um, and then the company that I actually work with, they also, they outsource some of their stuff to women that are incarcerated so that when they're released, they have job skills. It's amazing. Oh, I love my, my company. Gosh. I know. Isn't oh, that amazing? Gosh. Wait, that's and your I, company. Wait a minute. Now wait, this is cause I got to put in a little side note. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You my do like your, she does so many jobs and she has a husband and she has a dog and she, oh, she has two children as yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah, and a membership site, and I teach classes, and I sponsor women, and I'm good coaching, and I love being busy. Oh, I'm busy living sober. I know you're busy. <laughs> you're definitely busy living sober. But don't you believe like it is? It's like your dad is like. Yeah, it was felt like, like a little up in your life. Isn't that yeah. just amazing? Yeah, it felt so validating because it was. You know, I didn't have like my dad was. I know, I know he meant well, he always played devil's advocate with me. Yeah. Like, I think he was trying to instill critical thinking skills, but I never felt like he was on my side, you know, mm. and, uh, we, we were very different, like politically. And, you know, I love my dad. He was like one of the most decent and honest men I've ever met, <sighs> but I also didn't feel like he really, I mean, I knew he loved me, but he was always playing devil's advocate. So I didn't think he was, I, I thought maybe he didn't think I was like good enough or smart enough or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that wasn't his intention. So I don't mean to disparage my father, but there was, it was, that's a fact like that happened. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it just felt like, it just felt like a, a, a little, a little God wink. You know, felt sure. like dad had a hand in that. And now, and now I get to try to be of service to these women who are going to learn. I need, I, I need them. I really want them to be able to have some uh, coping skills that I never got. Right. And so I'm talking about things like self-care, self-forgiveness, um, you know, creating a vision for yourself that you can work toward having a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset and introducing ideas that I didn't get until I was in recovery. You know, th this idea that I'm not at the effect of life, I'm actually the cause, right? And when I think differently, when I believe differently, my life is different, right? Your outward expression of life is a reflection of what you feel you deserve on the inside. So, I'm ridiculously passionate about that, about changing what you believe you deserve. Cause I really feel like that is like the foundation of recovery. We talk about it all the time. We say, we'll love you until you can love yourself. Well, what does that mean? Love yourself. What, what's required to love yourself? You have to forgive yourself, 
you have to believe that, that you have the potential to be better. Right. And there's this idea of pride in reverse. I was so confused by that when they talked about that, what that means is like, I am the worst person ever. Really? Really. You're going to give it's yourself like, that credit. Let me, uh, yeah. yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Um, but I, I, that's, that keeps you safe. Like it's all, it's all people learn these survival skills when they're little and they don't translate in a healthy way into adulthood. So that's, that's the work that I try to do with these women that are incarcerated. It's the work that I try to do in the self-esteem class. You know, I, I predominantly work with this class with women who really want to stop drinking or they want to go, they want to go deeper or they don't want to do AA or rehab, but they, they want to stop, you know? So, um, it's just another tool in the toolbox, right? So it's, it's an alternative the... to, so it's kind of, a, it, it is. So what you just said is this, it's, it's an alternative to the 12 steps. I mean, kind of, it's just a tool. I mean, for, listen, so, uh, you know, addiction is like a, an elevator that just keeps going down, right? Some people get off on the upper floors. Like people don't need all the way, not everybody needs to go to the basement, you know? So we can catch some people at the, at the top floors, right? Okay. Right. And so there are some, like, if I had resources in my early twenties, I could have gotten that off the elevator a lot sooner. Right. And, and, and it's saved myself some suffering, but uh, anyway, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, and plus the barrier to entry to Alcoholics Anonymous is to admit that you're an alcoholic. That's a big pill to swallow. Right. And sometimes people just need a little help to get there. So it's kind of a little stopgap measure. Well, for one, I say that's freaking awesome because, you know, I, um, I am busy living sober is about getting busy living sober, whatever yeah. way you decide to get sober. That's my whole, you know, yeah. my nickname's busy. Hence it's called busy live. It's like, oh, it's so cute. And, um, but getting, you know, that place where you, it is hard to say I'm an alcoholic. That was the scariest thing because to me, an alcoholic was the person who lived under the freeway. They didn't have a car in their driveway. They didn't own a house. They didn't have kids that went to school. It was none of those things. So for me, like having to get to that place that I was finally ready to say, oh my gosh, I'm an alcoholic. It was scary as you know what? That's why I love this Zoom thing. The Zoom meeting thing is just amazing. I think right I now know. it's crazy. I love it. I know people can't stand it, but I love it. Oh my gosh, I sometimes feel like I'm like, do you remember when um, it wasn't the Partridge family? No, the Brady's and they'd all the have Brady their little square. Yeah, they're, 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 we all were square. Like, everyone's like, hey, what's up? How are you? And you're a little square. You and get little to see everybody in their natural habitat. You're like, wow, you're Exactly. Strong. And you don't even know what they're wearing underneath. Like they can be wearing a nice shirt and then you have no idea what's going on below. And it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're all there to help each other get another day which right, is what it's yeah. all about. And how are you dealing with COVID? I mean, I hate to say it, but COVID has been so good to me. I mean, professionally speaking, having the best year of my career, my company allows, thank you. My company allows people to work from work remotely. That's what I sell is, you know, security solutions that allow people to work from home. So when COVID hit, I was in the right, right spot at the right time. It was crazy. And uh, we actually moved from California to Idaho a year ago. So I was in a little house. <laughs> it was a little house in Silicon, Silicon Valley that was just under a thousand square, thousand square feet that we sold for over a million dollars because it's Silicon Valley. Oh my and, God. Yeah, we bought this big ass brand new house. We had a house built out here in Idaho that's 4,200 square feet just in time for COVID. Oh my God. <laughs> 
And they say God doesn't work in your life. <laughs> God showed up big in my life. God has shown up. And, you know, I have a lot of compassion for people who are suffering, you know, um, and it's not, you know, I, I, there's a lot of good things. That, there have been a lot of challenges as well, but I come back and the political landscape is a nightmare, but I keep coming back to this idea that I will not give in to fear. I refuse to get to give in to fear because here's the truth. There are a thousand things that go right every single day, every single day. I, I can, I can walk, I can see, I can move my arms. I can get myself some breakfast. I can walk the dog. I can, I mean, a thousand things go right every single day. And here's the other thing. We are more alike than we are different. I'm in a neighborhood of people who have opposing political views. You know what? They are nice to me. I am nice to them. We take care of our kids. We take care of our homes. We're good to each other. We, if we just focus on love and what matters and being kind, that all that other stuff doesn't really, I mean, it matters, but I'm, I don't, you know, and in the big book, even it talks about, let's leave the anger to people who are more well-qualified. I mean, I have some friends, even in recovery who are angry angry. They're so mad and I get it, but we are missing the point. We have an opportunity to live this day in joy. If we just choose to focus on it, I'm not saying you should bury your head in the sand. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we are more alike than we are different and we should just focus on loving each other instead of hating each other. Doesn't that make sense? Oh, you're preaching to the choir now, baby. I know, <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I was, I, I don't know if I mentioned on my podcast yesterday, but it was interesting because I woke up on my birthday and I don't know, I just turned 52, as you know, right. we're in the same next, I'm 52 next month. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. It's, I, I can know. tell you it's not so bad, but it wasn't like, you know, 50s <laughs> really fun. 51 is kind of like, oh my God, I'm 51. 52, it's kind of like, okay. But I love, I kind of love my 50s because it's just like, <laughs> I love that I don't really care anymore what anybody thinks and it doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to do the best I can do each day. And <laughs> I just keep getting closer to God and I'm just like loving it. And <sighs> I got up and I woke up that, you know, that morning and I was a little cranky to my husband. I'm not going to go into what I said to him, but um, let's just say I wasn't the nice person. And I went out and I looked on my balcony and I could see that the sun hadn't risen all the way, you know, but the light mm. was on and I'm like, I'll be back. And my I jumped to my car and I threw my beach chair in the back of the car and I drove down to the beach and I sat there by myself. And all I could say was like, thank you God for these 52 years. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for my health. Thank you for my kids health. Yes. Thank you for giving me my husband, my husband and I, and it's just, it, it, but because of the tools I learned in this program, which is like the basic one, which is gratitude. That was in the very beginning was like, be grateful. And I'm like, I don't, what the hell is grateful? I mean, I know what the word defined in the dictionary dictionary would say, but what does that feel like in my heart? And that takes time. That heart to head is, it doesn't look so far, but let me tell you, when it comes to really having a match, it takes a long, long time. And I, I work on it every day. I work on it every day. And when you talked about doing it, you kind of described a 10th step that you mm -hmm. do, which is like, where was I at fault? And for me, I have to write it down. Like I have to write down, I am resentful of Elizabeth. It's always of me. It's, 
Well, because let's be, I'm human. Cause I put, yeah, yeah, yeah. as you described, you're like, you keep going to do all these things. I'm an overachiever. I'm over, when is, when am I going to check the, well, if you keep going, you're never going to, it's like constant check, check, check. And I still am feeling like this. So it brings God back into the, my life yeah. and God being whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be Jesus Christ. It can be the Jordan. I know people say the Jordan, now it can be the sunrise, whatever it is for me, it is God, you know, and heaven, but it's bringing that attention to the fact that I am, I'm never going to be perfect. Mm -mm. That's okay. That's actually a good thing. I mean, the imperfect, I mean, there's this thing, this this idea of trauma bonding. It's like you and I are friends because we understand each other in a really deep and meaningful way. Yeah. Right. It's like, I don't have to talk to you every day to know that you get my kind of crazy. That I love you. And yeah. that I, and I don't love you just because you've got a fabulous lamp behind you and a great painting behind you. You've got great taste. Thank and you. I love that. And your purple cup, like, look at all your fun stuff. I love that. And you're so girly. I love that. And I, it's like, we speak this language and there is no judgment. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care who you vote for. I could really care less. Is it going to offend? No. Do I care yeah. what you believe in God? If it is the doorknob, I don't care. I just mm -hmm. love you who you are. Yeah. God, that's crazy, isn't it? It's, no, it's the sanest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's early. <laughs> You're the best. Oh, my oh, God. So Thank much fun. so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy spending time with you, but thank you so much. I love what you're doing and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And I love what you're doing and I love that we're friends and we really have to talk more often. Okay. We're going to make oh, a I'm gonna promise call you. on live. Brace yourself. Okay. You've got to, you've got to call <laughs> I will. Me. I absolutely will. And, um, I, I wish you all the best on all your newest endeavors. And can I share my, uh, my podcast or my, sure. um, I'm going to yeah, put so the I, links in, in, in my show notes, but you tell everybody out there. Cause if they don't read, cause I, if let's face it, are they going to read what I wrote? I don't know. So just, I don't know. Me. Yeah. So if you go to sober life school, com that's where all my stuff is so like you can email me there you can see the self-esteem course or all oh, kinds of stuff so yeah i actually have a free um self-esteem starter kit that you can download awesome so, yeah it's awesome. kind of fun yeah that's it's amazing really i love that you're just helping other people i love that i just love your whole mission it fills my heart just... it does and I can't wait to meet you one day in person. You have to come to Florida. Or I'm, I'm coming, coming out. To Idaho. Yeah. yeah. Either I'm way, I'm going to Florida. But we're going to make it happen. <laughs> and uh, big virtual hugs, honey. Love you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. And until next time, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye bye. <laughs>